1: Hello everyone, this is Tom Tutal Cunningham. Welcome to today's show. I'm the founder of Journey to Success Radio, radio also the creator of the Journeys to Success book series and the world's most well-known Napoleon Hill Foundation Certified Instructor. We have an amazing show today uh, featuring uh, Diana Buher. We're going to be talking about communicating like a leader. And uh, our host, our co-host, my favorite co-host for the show is joining us today, the amazing Brad Zalas. Uh, Brad, tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, then introduce our guest. Please. Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait. Tom, again, you've said I'm your favorite co-host. I feel flattered. Thank you. Anyways, everybody out there, this is Brad Zalas, and I am the award-winning author of Liquid Leadership, which delves deeply into today's leadership styles for the 21st century, especially how to get millennials working with analog-driven boomers. And uh, if you're having trouble with millennials, I am uh, considered a millennial expert in the field. So uh, I am looking forward to today's show tom and you
1: know why well you're with the american management association so this is a lot of it's right up your alley
0: exactly leadership in the 21st century so who wants to read the uh the bio here tom you want to jump in there
1: Uh, I'll do that. Uh, Diana Abouar is the best-selling author of 47 books published in 60 foreign languages. She works with organizations to help them communicate clearly and with leaders to expand their influence by a strong executive presence. Her latest books include Communicate Like a Leader, Connecting Strategically to Coach, Inspire, and Get Things Done, Uh, What more can I say? Why communication fails and what to do about it? Uh, National media such as Good Morning America, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, CNN, Fast Company, Bloomberg Success, and Entrepreneur frequently interview her on workplace communication issues. Rich Topia has named her at number 54 on his 2017 list of top 200 most influential authors in the world. Her clients include more than one-third of the Fortune 500 organizations. Welcome to the show today, Diana.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Good, good.
0: I'm going to talk a little bit about um, this, Diana, uh, if we may at the very beginning of this, but uh, I love when I see women working in business, especially at the executive level, and the reason why is we've spent so many years believing that soft skills were a waste of time and now we're understanding that soft skills are the most important part of this and I feel that women in business do this naturally this style of communication uh, and things like that so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that uh, right off the bat I know we're going off script a little bit but could you address that
2: well I'm glad you noticed that it's become the most important part. And I'm sure you've known that all along. But really, the, yes. essence, the essence of leadership is communication. Because if you don't communicate, things don't get done. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about it, every business act involves communication. I mean, yes. literally, literally, you're either speaking, writing, you're leading a meeting, you're, you're in front of somebody's face, all of it this centers around communication right. and so oh God, it's yeah. just it doesn't nothing happens in the c-suite unless somebody's writing meeting, giving feedback etc
0: well, you know, it's very interesting. At my own company, K2, when we went public, um, you know, I'm, I'm on the board now and I'm a chief marketing officer. When we decided to change our president and uh, our CEO, uh, I immediately uh, placed Lynn Phantom in that role because I felt that the, uh, a woman from the advertising background was incredibly powerful as a presence for my company and uh this is a huge shift generationally as well because uh i remember my dad's generation which had this attitude of i pay you do the and i'm taking the expletives out i pay you so do the work and now we've moved into a completely different model of management we're getting away from that micromanagement style uh, of um uh, of managing and Honestly, why do people micromanage, don't you know?
2: People micromanage actually for a lot of reasons. And I think I thought you were just about to get into it. If you think about all the conflict we have is oh. because of that mindset that you were just talking about there. I mean, it happens in leadership. It happens in sales. You remember back in the day when people were always, you know, I've got to force somebody to buy something from me. I've got to force them to close. You remember they'll always be closing. And if you look yep. at all, in every arena, it was all about force people to do things. And now we're saying, no, you can't do that. And that's where the micromanaging came in. It's we've got to, force people to do it my way or the highway or get out of here. (laughs) We found out that doesn't work. And and it doesn't are are still trying to do that either through fear or they are insecure in themselves that they don't get along with people. So they, you know, just follow along, you know, sort of creeping along in the background to watch how somebody does it or they don't have the skill. They don't have those soft skills or, They they never learn to delegate. They don't trust the people. There there are any number of reasons people do it, but it's just second nature to them.
0: Yeah. Wait. You know, I've always felt in this day and age, some people are still running their business as if it's 1977. And there's this hierarchy. And if you're 25, why should I listen to you? I spent 40 years getting up to the C-suite, you know, that kind of attitude. And honestly, what do you do when you you have to work with a micromanager? What do you
2: do? I I think you've got to, you've got to turn it around. You can't depend on them to turn it around. So you, you, you (laughs) the one. (laughs)
0: You you said a mouthful.
2: (laughs) You have got to be the one to bridge that gap and help them gain the trust they need to, you know, to lower their fear level. And tell them or, and help show them. You can't tell them anything. You've got to show them that they don't have to fear you. You've got to build that trust by showing that you're going to come through, you know, and saying, you know, what is what is the end game here? What's the goal? What do you want me to deliver? Where are the check back points? Where would, you know, here's what I'm planning to do. Here's the next step. And just helping them get easy that you can accomplish the goal. And, you know, yeah. where do you want? back asking, you know, what, what authority do I have? What decisions do you feel comfortable with me making? Or where do you want me to inform you along the way? Until you gradually, you know, build, build bigger gaps in, in between the check back times. And, right. and as they thrust, then you can, uh, you have a longer rope. In other words, you just keep stretching the rope that you can uh, get by on your own.
0: This is interesting that you say that the the high trust environments that everybody's talking about. This takes time. This takes time to build. And when when do you feel it's time to to build those trust environments? You want to talk about that, Diana?
2: You, you have to do it from from day one. You can't Ta-da. because people are going to walk out. You know the yeah. you the Millennials are not going to stick around for five years until they build that trust. <laughs> you know, they're, they're out the door. And so, you know, you're not working with that person who's going to say in 10 years, I'll, I'll have built the trust. And right. so I think that that person who is always micromanaged has to start off immediately assessing the situation. I've got a micromanager here and they're, they're either they don't have the skill, they don't have the know-how. Or for some reason, I have lost trust with them. You assess the situation immediately and you say, okay, what can I do to show them that I am not going behind their back, that I am not trying to go around them, that I have, I'm, I'm covering for them? And you do two or three things like that and you get a little bit longer rope. You do four or five things and you get a, a longer rope. And ma- making them feel at ease is, is the wow. way to do it.
0: Wow. Now, anybody who's listening to this right now, I hope you're taking some notes because Diana just said a mouthful, and that is people stick around at these companies now simply because they've created a trust, a high trust environment by giving people more responsibility creating moments of trust and giving them more freedom more leadership roles things like that more tasks so if you're still kind of stuck in that mindset of you're going to bark orders and everybody's going to obey you that no longer works and and diana i'm going to talk about this how many people listening especially baby boomers remember when you were given a desk and a chair and a phone and you were supposed to figure it all out how many of you had tough bosses that kicked your, pardon me, rear ends, and you were expected to just jump and jump and th- ask them how high, sir? Uh, remember those days, Diana? That was, that,
2: that was the, the typical thing. And now, you know, you've got all this onboard training. That may be good, may be bad. But, you know, what happened, a lot of people never got trained in how to delegate. And oh. so if you're in that situation, and your boss never learned to delegate or you're in that situation and you have to correct a micromanaging situation, I recommend that you ask five questions. You know, you take responsibility and you say, all right, what's the goal? All right. What is the concrete deliverable that you want me to come back with? And do you already have a process in mind or can I, can I establish my own process for, for doing this, accomplishing the goal? What are the check back points that you're capable, you're, you're, comfortable with? Are there certain points you want me to check back with? What's my, what's my timeline? Do I have a concrete deadline? What's my budget for this? Uh, are there any uh, precautions that you have? Worry, I call them worry points that you want to give me right up front. And, and of course the person who delegated this should have told you all those things, but if he or she didn't, then you ask the questions and those will keep you on track.
0: Wow. That's simple. I hope everybody's writing this down. Uh, You you know, this is the funniest part. I'm glad you brought up training. Uh, A lot of people don't remember really the arc of how things have changed so much, not only here in the United States, but this is happening around the world. Most of us received on-the-job training when we went into these companies. This was before everybody was getting a college degree so you'd show up at a company and they would train you how they wanted things to be done and i distinctly remember one of my best friends frank started working as a summer job he was a teller at our local bank and they didn't have to train him or anything they just showed him how to use the 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 technology that was there at, at the time and Now, fast forward, companies are expecting you to almost be right out of the box. If you went to college, you should be already trained, ready to go. And they don't realize it's a lot of our younger employees that are coming into the workforce have not been trained in simple business acumen or what to do besides standing around with your hands in your pocket when the work is done. So I find it interesting that today you're talking a little bit about that. We almost everybody has to have a mentorship program, am I right? Uh, To get people involved. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: They do. It's not the technology for the most part because they can learn that quickly enough. But what they've not been trained in are the the communication issues. You know, and think about it. How many times have you seen somebody fired because they couldn't? manage the technology it's rare right. they get fired because they can't get along because they have they've they ticked off a supplier because a customer comes back and gives them <laughs> it's, it's always the communication issues that trip them up they can learn the technology whatever it is they can master it either by themselves or they you know do on the job training for 2 days and they've got that down it's the communication issue that they can't master because you have to have have thinking on your feet, you have to have smarts to do that. And they've, they've been sitting behind a PC for so long or looking at their phone so long that they've neglected those skills in their formal academic training.
0: Uh, I talk in my, my books, my teachings, that they'd actually never had it as kids. They were actually taught how to manipulate digital information before they could read, write, and speak. And when they were told to think about what they did wrong, they were sent to their bedrooms and they played video games instead. So there was no reflection. Now, this creates a paradox because with millennials, they were taught to communicate, hyper-communicate with their parents. So the hierarchy was flattened in the household. And then they went to college and even high school, they were taught to approach their teacher and talk to them by their first name. And yet, now that they get into the corporate world, they may not be able to communicate with you the way you think, but they expect to be able to talk to the CEO on the first day of work. So I find that fascinating. So how does everybody get a hold of you? Uh, I just want to mention your website. Where do they get a hold of you, Diana?
2: Yes, it's boorresearch.com. Boor, like B-O-O-H-E-R. Boo her, except I hope they don't. That's
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: B-O-O-H-E-R. Boor And
0: And if, if they needed to email you, they could just reach out and find it right there at your site.
2: Yes, right, diana.boer at boerresearch.com.
0: And I want to mention before we move on, you have had amazing uh, success with several bestsellers, not just your latest book, Communicate Like a Leader, Connecting Strategically to Coach, Inspire, and Get Things Done, but you have several other bestsellers, uh, and I'll mention them here real quickly. We have What More Can I Say, Why Communication Fails, and What to Do About It. Also, you published uh, Creating Personal Presence, Look, Talk, think, and act like a leader, and also communicate with confidence. How to say it right the first time and every time. So, I would say you're a master at at this uh, communicating, uh, being present as a leader, showing up, and uh, being in the zone. And uh, that's what I love about uh, having guests like you on today. You really know what you're talking about.
2: You know, most of the time, Brad, when when I get called in, it's not a huge, huge technology problem at, in the C-suite, I, I hear things like, we need to get out a, a negative message, and I don't know how to shape it to my employees because you know even uh, something like we're going to change our incentive program with our salespeople. Or we're going to have to restructure, and I'm going to have this huge blowback from our employees. Or I have two executive vice presidents, and one of them brings in 90% of the business, but we're going to have to let him go because he ticks everybody else off. It's always a big problem. <laughs> mm. You know, revenue, it's going to walk out the door with this guy because he can't let go of things, and everybody who reports to him hates him. It's, it's, <laughs> communication what?
0: Well, you know, this leads us to one of your questions, uh, and you talk about this a lot. This is why speaking and speaking properly and perhaps emotional intelligence is a a very high-valued skill set for today's leader, Uh, and and you also do that. You do some speaker training. Am I correct?
2: Yes, I do. I do uh, train people in executive presentations and interpersonal skills, but when they come to me and they if somebody rises through the ranks, so to speak, and they have the technical skills, but they get to the top, they're going to have to speak more and more often. And I see a lot of skills gaps there. Uh, What I find difficult for a lot of executives, they've been protected for a long while. A lot of times they'll get an admin who sort of moves up the ranks with them and they cover up to a certain point. But now because of social media, more and more of those People are exposed because they're tweeting. They're putting something on social media or they are Mm. out there with their face, you know, on the, doing a a global broadcast on social media and their body language is terrible. Their body language contradicts the message they're giving.
0: well, honestly, what are some of the key characteristics that audiences expect today uh, from leaders, and how can they be most effective in that communication?
2: Well, I think they need to first be self-aware of what they're doing. In other words, they, they come in and they say, well, we're going to make this change, but it's going to be – it's actually a very positive thing. But their body language totally negates that. They need to be aware of that. Uh, they need to have a they, they need to know what their personal brand is so that they know how they come across just when they're talking one on one and how to connect with people. I have executives who come to me a lot of times saying, "I am so uncomfortable in dealing one on one They say if I hide in my, uh, uh, up on the eighteenth floor and i don't have to talk to people i 'm fine, but when I have to go to an industry meeting or a conference. I don't, I don't like to stand in the lobby and shit. Chat. <laughs> and they don't make good connections when they have then, to go to another country and interact with other people from other countries they they have to take other people with them to make a connection. <laughs> for a big sale. You know, they're going to go deliver 48 airplanes to another country and start building models. And it's a billion dollars, you know, several billion yeah. dollars worth of, and they can't make those warm, fuzzy connections over dinner. That's, that's the kind a, of thing
0: they come for. That's, that's hysterical. They did that. Somebody could rise to the highest ranks, and here's the one area that just scares them. And uh, I've actually been the opposite. I was the kind of executive I wanted to uh, bring high-touch value to my employees. I always made sure I was available and there. And when I ran our um, annual uh, meetings for shareholders and things like that, I was always the one that my – uh, other business partners always acquiesced for me to run the meeting because they just didn't like to speak in public. And I thought, this is the most powerful skill that if you can master it, you will be heads and shoulders above everyone else uh, in your in your business sector. Uh, so hats off to you on that one.
2: That's another key thing too: running meetings and responding in meetings. When when uh, CEOs send <laughs> send people to meet the coach, another thing they keep they frequently say is, when they respond to questions, they can't think on their feet. They get lost in the weeds. Uh, a lot of times they will. Do a formal presentation. Let's say they're, they're presenting to the board of directors or a high level management meeting and they have the formal presentation. You know, they have 20 minutes to say, I, I'm proposing we do such and such as an organization. And that formal 20 minutes goes well. They're they're prepared. But then they, the board of directors starts shooting questions at them. That's when they fall apart. They can't respond to the questions. Either they get down in the weeds, they ramble, they're they, they are too technical and, and they they just fall apart, and the CEO says, Go see Diana. <laughs> Diana that's, that's when they show up because of, of not being able to respond to uh, a text, technical question when they know so much about something, they can't zero in, they can't summarize. Yeah. Um, when they get loaded questions, they don't know how to respond. So, you know, a lot of times I have, I'll have oh, 10 or 12 typical question types that you get when somebody's really skeptical about something. You know, and I have to drill them on. Here's the here's the way you handle a long-winded question. Here's the way you handle a show-off question. Those are the kind of things that I will wind up coaching executives on. But you know, See, another thing I thought you were going to ask me, Brad, when you talked about the conflict a while ago is, is uh, how do you get how do you make sure those people don't wind up in your company? You know, when you get those toxic employees in there, do you yeah do you begin with yeah. Uh, You may have dealt with those yourself.
0: Really? really? Uh, Toxic employees? Never. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what happened to me, and I want to hear your perspective on this. But um, the first, I would say, 20 employees, me and my business partners, we had a handle in hiring each and every person. But the first thing we did is we made the teams – those people. They were in charge of advertising for that job. They were in charge of picking and handpicking who would fit that team based on goals. And then by the time the person got to us, uh, it was just a matter of as business partners, we get the final say. And whenever it was done that way, we always got good people. But whenever one of my business partners decided to circumnavigate that process and just push somebody on us, it was a disaster, and we always had personality clashes. And those people we almost always had to fire at some point. So um, I'm not sure that was the best way to handle it as well for myself, but it was always, when we went outside of that, that process that we had developed, it was a disaster. So please, I want to hear your take on dealing with toxic employees, Diana, because I don't know if I handled it perfectly. <laughs> so,
2: Process is important, and I'm glad you mentioned that. But in the Communicate Like a Leader book, I I just got really uh, strong on asking the right kind of questions. One of one of my favorite questions, and I've learned this through 30 years of hiring employees, is you know there was a book that Judith Viorst wrote a long time ago. It's it's a kids' book. It's something like. Um, I think the, top, the title of it is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You may have <laughs> read
0: it. Yes, yes.
2: But this guy, you know, this, the character goes through, you know, these terrible things that happened to me. You ask an employee, have you ever had a terrible, horrible, very, very bad day? Think of one of those days. Tell me what happened on that day and how did you cope with it? And what you're looking for when you're interviewing that employee is, listen and to see what they think is a really hard, stressful day. And if their idea of stressful is what happens almost every week in your company, (laughs) that is a mismatch because they're going to always be unhappy, stressed and burned out really quickly in your company. And then listen to how they cope with it. I mean, are they saying things like, Oh man, I you know it was a major meltdown, and I had to call so and so to come help me, and it was just, and they had to take off, and they didn't get in till two o'clock that day, you know, as they describe it, and you're thinking that wasn't so bad, you know, we that we are under those kind of deadlines all the time, you don't want that employee, And, and then another favorite question of mine, when you ask them, can you tell me about some negative feedback that a former boss has given you in the past. And and what did you do with that feedback? What'd you learn from it? What'd you do with it? It, Invariably, if they practice for these, they're going to say something like, well, you know, I can't remember any. I'm just, you know, or I'm a workaholic (laughs) or (laughs) what I'm too good
0: at my job. I'm just too good. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, You just get, you're so nice. You get along with everybody. You know, they're lying or they they don't listen, or they can't take back well, or they don't learn from it, or they're lying. I mean, you learn a lot of things. What, you, of course, you're looking for is for them to say, to give you some really honest feedback, and that they learned something from it, and they were able to apply it, and things changed. I mean, that's the kind of answer you want to hear. Otherwise, you're dealing with something that doesn't have much integrity.
0: You hit the nail on the head. And anybody who's listening, especially if you work in HR or you're an executive or you're somebody who's working in talent and development, uh, take notes on this because you can control the type of people you bring into your organization. And that will determine how long they last, how dedicated they are, and how loyal just from some of the little tips that Diana has given you. And I want to remind our listeners to pick up her book communicate like a leader i think it's a phenomenal read and i think you're going to enjoy it uh and uh actually i think the subtitle says it more than anything connecting strategically to coach inspire and get things done uh, so pick that up communicate like a leader also don't forget to go to her website burr research B-O-O-H-E-R-R-E-S-E. E A R C H Boer Research. So, let's uh, let's continue. Tom, you've been quiet through all of this. Do you want to add to uh, this phenomenal conversation on communication, hiring better, and uh, dealing with toxic people? Because uh, yes. I know Tom knows how to deal with that. Go ahead.
1: Uh, I love metrics, and uh, Diana, you say that speed is speed is a new metric for quality communication. What kind of response time do employees expect from a supervisor in this day and age?
2: Uh, Tom, I don't know.
1: <laughs> immediate.
2: That, that, that's the problem. You know, most, org- and I'm saying this literally because I've worked with so many organizations. Most employees don't either. And that is the problem. If you were to walk into, I venture I venture, 50% of the organizations and you ask employees, what, what is the timeline? When you get an email or you get a text, but primarily email from our call, from your supervisor, your team lead, your project lead, how long do you have to respond? And they would say, well, uh, it depends. <laughs> they don't. And that's why people feel such pressure. They feel I, I'm on call 24 seven because people don't have a response time. They don't know what the expectation is. So if they're at home and it's 10 o'clock and an email comes in, they think, Oh no, I got to get up and go look on my files and on onto this. So that's one of the key things about communication supervisors bosses need to have standards they need to say when you get a request for such and such kind of documents those reports need to be in and read you know within 24 hours or when you get a routine correspondence and it comes in after six you don't need to respond to that till the next day if you get an answer by for me after seven o'clock you don't need to respond and if it is urgent that I get a response I will put a urgent sign on it you know there needs to be some kind of standards and and people need to know what they are so that they don't feel like at any time if my boss sends me something i'm supposed to answer no matter if i'm at
1: you
2: know but with pneumonia or the flu i've got to get back to them because that's what puts people out
1: right and nice to have those expectations set by both the supervisor and the employee
2: right right so they know yeah. and and a lot of people a lot of bosses have that expectation from their employees but they don't hold themselves accountable to mm-hmm. respond so oh, an employee yes. is in the middle of the project and they need an approval or to go ahead to the next step and they send up do i have your go ahead to move to such and such and they they you know they're on a timeline for the whole project and the supervisor sits on it for 4 days and that messes up their whole timeline in managing a project So, again, the boss needs to be as accountable for responses and those metrics as they expect their employees to be. It's a two-way street.
0: You know, that's hard to sell up the ladder. You know that. (laughs) I admire you for trying, but uh, anybody who's in the C-suite and you're listening and you're a leader, guess what? Anything you implement, you are expected to also – be adherent to the same rules the same rules apply up and down from the boardroom to the mailroom as they say and um this leads me a little bit to something i just want to throw in there The reason that millennials get so upset and leave as a group a lot of times is they're the first ones to call BS, sorry to use that term, but they're the first ones to call BS when a rule is thrown out there for everybody else, but the leader doesn't adhere to the same set of rules and tactics. So they they are the first to stand up, whereas boomers traditionally we always saw something that might be a negative at work and we go ah what are you going to do i have a job i'm lucky to have a job i'm just going to stay here whereas millennials are, are sitting there going you know i don't have to put up with that and they leave so a leader today has to be much more dynamic in the way they um you know carve the environment the workforce culture and being a part of it and um i think something maybe you could talk about this a little bit diana as well. John Chambers, uh, the former CEO of Cisco, who's now the chairman of the board, uh, he flattened Cisco in order to survive simply because he realized when it came to communication and it came to getting things up the ladder to him, hit the sign off and then send it back down, it was a lot of times too late. So he began to democratize Cisco back in the late 90s, early 2000s, in order to save the company because he realized he was the bottleneck of communication and it had to get out from under his uh, surveillance simply because he was slowing the company down. Uh, and you touched on that. Uh, can you touch a little bit more about that? I think every great leader has to ask himself, am I the one who's in the way?
2: Right, and that that is part of a trust issue that employees saying... All right, I'll trust you to that this deadline that you've given me on the project is necessary, and I will, you know, break my bonds to get this done. But you've got to do your part, and they see it as a trust issue. And you've broken the trust. If I'm going to live by the deadline, I expect you to live by the deadline. And, right. and another part of that trust relationship or that trust contract is explain your reasons. These millennials grew up on. Parents who explain punishment, you know, they sit down and they try to reason and they say, look, I'm taking the car away or I'm taking your phone away, your cell phone away from you because you didn't do so and so. Here's my reasons for doing that. And then they go into the workplace and the boss says, all right, we're going to, we're not going to have this retreat for such and such. And here's why we're not going to do that this year. Or we're not going to do rewards for such and such. And they they don't explain reasons. That, that millennial group, the culture is... Why are you doing this? Why are you thinking such a, why are we restructuring? And part of trust is tell me where, why we're making this decision. I'll buy in, I'll cooperate. I want reasons though. And when you hold it, patriarchal mom and dad, no best attitude. And they don't, they don't buy that. It's not do as I, you know, do as I say, because I'm the daddy here.
0: Right. Well, this is really interesting that you brought this stuff because boomers, a lot of times, we've been trained, and I'm a boomer, uh, but we've been trained not to even ask those questions as to why, just to kind of accept it. Uh, and then you have a new generation coming along that are 25 years of age, 35 years of age, and they're asking why and demanding things and negotiating almost like they're in the C-suite themselves. Uh, So I find it very interesting that uh, this demand-on-demand culture also requires extra communication. And I know some of you listening are shaking your heads and rolling your eyes, and all I can say is this. It's the 21st century, and we are trying to get out of applying 20th century management models onto 21st century individuals. And believe it or not, Boomers and Gen Xers have been indoctrinated into the 21st century way of working as well. So we're all ready for that leader that's just going to get it and take it to another level and uh, help us all and be supportive in these organizations with our career goals, uh, especially internally. So...
2: something that's not mentioned as often and that trust thing is just demonstrating confidence. If you can do that, if you can create the culture they want, but also demonstrate confidence, anybody wants to follow a leader who's competent. I mean, you get things done and they love it.
0: Well, you, you talk about presence, creating a personal presence. I mean, leaders used to automatically just do that. What do you recommend today uh, as when it comes to personal presence? And is it just something for leaders
2: no, I think everybody has to have a presence. Uh, and part of it, presence is not something that just comes naturally. You can learn it. You know, I divided in that book, uh, Creating Personal Presence, the subtitle of that is look, talk, think, and act like a leader. Those first three things, look, talk, and think, you can learn. Now, the act has it's sort of a catch-all section that talks right. about value character and you can't teach character and you can't teach values but you can teach how somebody looks talks and thinks things on their feet and what I mean by that a lot of times when somebody a a c-suite officer will send a you know a 35 year old somebody who's ready to get make partner in an accounting firm or consulting firm or a law firm and they they superficially act arrogant that's not the confidence level that I'm talking about, but I'm talking about being so competent that you have natural confidence. And that's something that only comes from knowing what you're doing to actually being, uh, to actually having the skills and being in the moment so that you know, you can stand toe to toe with a client who's testing you on an, on an idea. It's not a superficial thing. It is actually a skill.
0: I hope everybody took notes because mm-hmm. there is a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. Uh, I've suffered from it my whole life. Uh, people mistook me, my confidence for arrogance, and sometimes for vice versa. I'm not going to lie, uh, but the reality is, is that sometimes I just know what I can do and for those of you listening if you know you can truly help an organization or you know you're ready for that promotion or you know uh, that you're ready for something that's confidence arrogance is when you pretend you know something and you you push back and kind of act a, you know when you're arrogant I don't have to point it out <laughs> so tom tom do you have anything else you want to add to this cuz this is a
1: I think we're getting to the end of this uh, interview here. Uh, Diana, do you have any uh, last words? And also let us remind people that uh, they can find you at Booer Research, B O O H E R R E S E A R C H dot com, dot com. Any last thoughts, uh, Diana, before we uh, uh, end the show here today?
2: I think that if your communication is not strategic, it's become problematic and that you can take to the bank
0: (laughs) that's fantastic diana thank you so much for being on here and i I just want to uh read a quote real quick that is from diana boer and that is influence is not about what you say but what listeners hear Mm. thank you so much
1: have a great day thanks diana
2: thank you
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tom for details.